Well, if you would, please take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. As we are continuing through the book of Romans, if you don't have a Bible, then get one of the black Bibles on the end of each pew. It's on page 944, and you're welcome to keep that Bible for yourself if you don't have one. Uh, Romans chapter 8, as uh, many people, I say many people, it's not just like people are saying. This is, this is a, a thing that has been repeated over and over by some of the greatest uh, preachers in Christian history, that Romans 8 may just be the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, uh, that Romans seems to be something of the pinnacle of the scriptures in showing us the pure milk of the gospel, and Romans 8 is something of the height of even the book of Romans. So I'm reluctant to say that it's the most important chapter in the Bible because every chapter in the Bible is the word of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, every part of the Bible is God-breathed and useful. Every part of the Bible is equally God-breathed, and also we can say that some parts of the Bible are more useful than other parts, even as they are all useful. And this may just be the most useful chapter in all of Scripture. I don't know. But with that having been said, let's read together, starting with just the first two verses of Romans chapter 8. It says this, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. I have have made an effort over the last couple of months not to mention anything about Will Smith and Chris Rock from the pulpit. Clearly now I've failed at that. Uh, but I was just thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, as everybody knows that there was this encounter between these two celebrities at the Oscars where Chris Rock uh, insulted Will Smith's wife, not realizing the medical condition that she had, and then Will Smith uh, got angry, as we can understand that he would be angry, but then he did what is not acceptable at all, which was to stand up and to punch Chris Rock in the face. And uh, if you wonder, was that the right thing to do? Just imagine if that had been a non-famous person who went up on the stage and did that. Obviously would have been escorted out in handcuffs. And so this was a, a horrible sin uh, that Will Smith committed in a couple of weeks ago he came out with an apology video that he posted on the internet. And so I watched that apology video, and I got to the end of it, and I just thought, what an incredibly sad thing to try to find redemption without a redeemer. And you just, you just hear this, and you, this, is, this is all that those who are without Christ have, is the idea, what can I do? How can I make up for this? How can I say that I'm sorry but also say that this is not really representative of who I am, but also that I'm a terrible person and that I'm punishing myself to try to make up for it. And would you please forgive me, but I don't know if you'll talk to me. It's, it's just, it's, it's so, so sad to see that. Now, we, we're not really worried about Will Smith as far as whether or not he'll be okay in this life. He'll, he's going to be fine in this life. He's doing all right. But you see in something like that just the grief that can't be overcome without a redeemer. And I got to the end of that video and I thought, I wish that I could just sit down with this man and open up Psalm 51 and show him here is what repentance looks like. And to be redeemed, you need a redeemer. You're never going to be able to wash yourself clean from your sin, but he can. He's the one who can do it. He's the one who can do it. That's what we get at here in Romans 8. This is the good news for us who are in Christ Jesus is that there is no condemnation. We are free from the penalty and the power of sin. As we're coming to this new chapter in the book of Romans, I just want to set us up to see where we are in the book of Romans because this is not just an independent couple of verses or even an independent chapter in the Bible. It goes together with the whole thing. Of course, the whole Bible goes together as having one author whose name is the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, But where we started out in the beginning of Romans, just to keep a big overview of, of where we are, first half of chapter one of Romans is an introduction that lays out what the whole thing is about. The whole thing is about the gospel of God, Romans 1.1. God's gospel, not man's gospel, the gospel of God. 
And he says, here's what it's about, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what this whole book is about. The gospel of God, of God granting his righteousness through faith and not through works. Then for a couple of chapters, the book of Romans establishes the fact of everyone's condemnation. The fact that everyone is a sinner who can't do anything about their sin. So from the first, second half of Romans 1 through the, the, the first half of Romans 3, he lays out here is the truth for the Gentiles, here is the truth for the Jews, and it is the same truth. The same truth is that Jews are not any better off, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, Romans 3.9. So he, he has laid out whether you are a church kid who grew up hearing the Bible all the time, or whether you had hippie parents who brought you up in a commune teaching you to fight the man, or whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you grew up in the United States of America with the benefit of a society that kind of has, at least in the back of its mind, something about the moral law of God, whether you grew up on the other side of the world on an isolated island in a tribe where no word of Scripture has ever been spoken, all of those situations are under the same condemnation for the same sins. Sins against God. Sins against his righteous decree that those who commit such things deserve to die. And yet they not only do them, but give approval to those who do. And possessing the Bible, possessing the law doesn't make you any better off. All are under condemnation, both Jews and Greeks, in sin. But then there's good news. Even though there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it, there is a lot that God can do about it. In fact, God is the one who can do everything about it. There is good news that's this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. You hear that? A gift. Not something you can earn, not something you can deserve, but a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. There's the good news right there. And so all the way from the second half of Romans 3 to the end of Romans 4, he's laying out, here is the heart of the gospel. It is justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Having our sins forgiven, being received into right standing with God, not on the basis of who we are or what we could do, but on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and trusting in him and not in ourselves or in our ability to obey the law. He says this has been the case all along. It's how Abraham was saved. It says that, that, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's all the way back in Genesis 15. But he says at the end of chapter 4, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So we are sinners condemned unclean, and yet we have this marvelous gospel that we can be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then when you get to chapter 5, all the way from chapter 5 to chapter 8, this is one big section of Romans that is about assurance. Those who believe, those who have come from their condemnation to right standing with God through faith in Jesus, that we can now be assured that we will stand complete before the throne of God in holiness, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, united to him, that we're going to be okay. He started that back in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He went on and he talked about even though we suffer, that we can be assured that we are still his. He says, not only, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So even if there's suffering, we can say, yet I have been delivered by Christ. And even if there's sin, 
And that's what's dealt with in a whole lot of the rest of those chapters that we've just been through. Especially, you remember chapter 7. Wretched man that I am. What if there's still suffering? You're still in Christ. But what if there's still sin? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, there's some good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we've established in in chapters 5, 6, and 7 so far is that even if there's still suffering, even if there is still sin, that Jesus is still Savior. You may or may not know that the fall brought mankind into a state of sin and misery. That's from the Baptist Catechism right there. But this was the state. God made people in the Garden of Eden. He made them holy, made them happy. They sinned against God. They went from holy to sinful. They went from happy to miserable. Not necessarily as miserable as possible at all times, but the fact that there is misery and suffering in the world, it came out of that event. Jesus came as the one who saves us from our sins and from our suffering. And so when we as Christians still have sin and still have suffering, it can shake us and make us say, is Jesus really my Savior? Is he really on my side if there is still sin, if there is still suffering? And these chapters and this chapter that we're going into are going to show you, here is your hope. Even if there's still sin, your hope is in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even those who cry out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And even if you suffer, and that's where he's going to get at the end of the chapter, not just that there's no condemnation, but there is no separation. That's where we'll go. In chapter 8, all the way from no condemnation at the beginning, no condemnation for our sins, to no separation from Christ, even if there's suffering and difficulty, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a chapter about God holding us fast, not by our power, but by his power, that he's going to do that. Even if we have to keep waging war against sin, there's no condemnation. Even as we have to keep walking through suffering, there is no separation from God in Christ. So let's look at these verses. That's kind of setting us up. Here's where we are. But let's just look at verses 1 and 2 today. Verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just got to say real quick that some of you have a footnote. If you're looking at the ESV, it has a footnote at the end of verse 1. My footnote here says, Some manuscripts add, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We absolutely, regardless of what Bible translation we're using, we affirm that those words are true because they're included at the end of verse 4. And so when we see things like this and we say, well, why is the King James Bible different in this verse than the modern translations? Well, the reason is because sometimes there are differences between the many, many thousands of copies that have been made by hand over the centuries of this book of Romans and other books of the Bible as well. And so at the time of the translation of the King James Version, their best guess was this seems like it was a part of the original, but we have a lot more manuscript evidence since then to be able to look and say, it looks like something happened with some copyist along the way where he got that phrase from verse 4 onto verse 1 as well. That's not something that ought to shake your faith at all. That ought to build your faith that we can look at those thousands and thousands of ancient manuscripts and say with great confidence, here is what the Scripture says. By the way, much, much greater confidence than we can say, here is what the Iliad or the Odyssey say or various other kinds of ancient texts like that. But I just have to address things like that when they come up. But here is the fact of what this verse says. It says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's really, really good news if you're in Christ. It's really good news. No condemnation. But let's think first of all. This is this, is this freedom that God gives us from the penalty of sin. And then verse 2 is going to be about freedom from the power of sin. But when he says there is therefore now no condemnation. What is the therefore there for? Occasionally it's harder to figure that out. And this is one of those times when it's harder to figure out. 
Is he saying, therefore, because I still have a battle with sin? Because that was what it was talking about at the end of chapter 7? Well, I think the therefore here, I think it's talking about kind of all of chapters 5 and 6 and 7. He's saying, therefore, on the basis of all this stuff that we've just said, beginning with the fact that when you have faith, you are at peace with God. Therefore, listen to this. I think he's kind of saying, let's boil it down. Let's get to what you really need to see is the big point. Here's the therefore. There is now no condemnation. When he says now, that means something's different, right? It means that there was a time when something was what it is not now. There, there's a distinction, the age that was before in our lives and the age that is now for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. One of the things that you need to realize from this verse is that you were under condemnation. You really were, you personally. I can say this for every person in this room, every one of us. Every person that you go outside and, and meet or hear riding by on their motorcycles during church or all, all, of the, all of humanity, he established this really clearly in chapters 1, 2, and 3. There was condemnation. There was condemnation for our sins. And when, when it says condemnation, what is it talking about? Well, it's talking about the just, righteous judgment of God against sinners. The holy God would not be holy if he looked at sinners and said, I'll just let it slide. And you think, well, he ought to let my slide sin, my sin slide, but then, but then that guy over there, his sin is way worse. He ought not to let that sin slide. Well, sin against the holy God is eternally significant. And so you need to know we were under condemnation for our sins. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. You were dead. That's you. That's me. We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were... Hear these words, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, we've got to put this together a little bit because when we get toward the end of chapter 8 and especially into chapter 9, we're going to start going through one of the doctrines that we love to celebrate at this church, which is the doctrine of election. The fact that Jesus died specifically for the sinners that God chose from before the foundation of the world to say, these are my elect. These are my sheep whom the Lord will lay his life down for. That when it says in Romans, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 5, where it says that, that, uh, that, that he is the lamb who was slain, that he was slain for people from every tribe and tongue and nation, that there is a specific set of people out of every tribe and tongue and nation that Jesus died for, and that that death is effective, will be applied to those who, uh, who will believe because God has chosen them from before the foundation of the world. It's called the doctrine of election, and I'm getting a couple other doctrines in there with it as well. The doctrine of limited atonement, for example. But when we come to something like this, we say, well, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and you say, well, that means there was condemnation. And it says that we, in Ephesians 2, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's a question that comes up. How could it be that those, Ephesians chapter 1, who he loved from before the foundation of the world, how could it be that they were under his condemnation? Well, that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. Maybe you can just get your Bible out this afternoon. It's the Lord's Day. And just think about that and read your Bible. Meditate on that. But here's the truth of it. Even as those who were loved from before the foundation of the world, even as God's love is and was and always will be completely unshakable, in our position as sinners who were born in Adam, 
united to Adam, not yet united to Christ by faith, we were in the position of condemnation before God. Even as people who Jesus shed his blood for, even as people that God chose from before the foundation of the world, you actually were under the condemnation of God. Had you died before you came to Christ, you would have gone to hell. You really would have. And God in his sovereignty made sure that you stayed alive long enough to hear the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? He's the one who orchestrates those things. But we really were under God's condemnation. And God really has taken the finished work of Christ and the Holy Spirit has come and applied it to our hearts to take away our heart of stone, to give us a heart of flesh, to wake us up, to believe the gospel, and to be saved. It is an amazing thing that God has done that we were in condemnation and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is no more. It says in Ephesians 2, after he said that we were by nature children of wrath, here's what he says about those who who believe in the Lord Jesus, who've been born again. He says, but God, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He didn't wait around and say, who's going to get alive Who's going to jump out of their graves and raise up their hand that they're ready to receive Jesus? No, he says, even while we were dead, he made you alive. He took you. He reached down in your condemnation, in his great love, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Holy Spirit comes and effectually calls us. We'll get to that later in chapter 8. I don't want to go all too many places, but it says he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I just want to think about that word grace. I want to think about this word condemnation. Condemnation and grace. You know what grace is? It is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. God giving us something good that we don't deserve. When it says there is no condemnation, we need to be, our hearts ought to just be leaping up out of our chests and saying, this is grace. This is grace. I was condemned in my sin and God is gracious. He takes me, no matter what it is that I've done, no matter what it is before I got saved, no matter what I can't believe I did after I got saved, he, he, is, he says, no condemnation. That's grace right there. And he did it so that he could show his grace, the immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, when he says that there's no condemnation, does that mean that all worldly consequences of sin are removed? No, it doesn't mean that. If, if you have a murderer on death row who is, is awaiting his execution and he comes to faith in Christ, that doesn't mean that he gets out of the penalty for his sin in this world. But it does mean there is no condemnation for him in Christ Jesus. In eternity, he will be in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. Even as there's some high-achieving well-behaved young women who will not. I don't mean any contrast between men and women. I'm just saying, think about this. Think about this. God in Christ sends the worst sinners to heaven and lets some of the, quote, best people in this world slip into their condemnation forever because they think they don't need Jesus. So it doesn't mean a removal of worldly consequences. It doesn't mean an escape from God's discipline either. Hebrews 12 says that those whom he, who he loves, God disciplines like a loving father. Even for us who are in Christ, when we sin, God can bring discipline into our lives, not as a condemnation, not as a penalty for our sin, but to train us in righteousness. And sometimes even when there's no sin, he just trains us in righteousness anyway. It's like military boot camp. Like you need to get ready for what you have coming down the road and he sends things into our lives to train us for that. 
So no condemnation doesn't mean that your worldly consequences are gone. It doesn't mean that there's no discipline for our sins. It also doesn't mean that God would affirm our sin or affirm sinful desire. The the so-called gospel that you will find if you end up visiting a, a, a liberal Protestant church is a gospel of affirmation instead of a gospel of salvation. They would say, here is the good news, God loves you, period. Which sounds pretty good, and you can find some verses that sound kind of like that in the Bible, but, but really what they're doing is they're preaching the same gospel that Satan preached in the garden, which sounded like good news when he told Eve, you will not surely die. This is not that big of a deal. Sounds like good news, it's not good news. The gospel of no condemnation is not the gospel of God affirming you in your sin. That's simply not what it is. It's God saving you from the righteous condemnation that you deserve for your sin. Another thing when it says no condemnation, it's not about our feelings. Sometimes when people see this, there is no condemnation. They say, well, I might not be in Christ Jesus because I feel condemned. Okay. And other people might say, Praise God, I must be a Christian because I don't feel any guilt at all for my sin. (laughs) And it says right there, no condemnation. Well, I don't feel any condemnation, so I must be all right. No, this is not about your feelings. Your your feelings sometimes are a a, a guide that that God would give you by the power of his Holy Spirit working through your conscience. Sometimes that is the case. And our conscience is given by God. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but it is something that's given from God so, so that you can feel conviction and guilt, uh, you know, a feeling of guilt about sin that might spur you on to seek the Lord. That is true, but we also, as sinners, have this habit of disconnecting reality from feelings so that you can feel like you have no guilt at all. You could say, I don't feel condemned at all. I don't feel guilty at all. And yet, in the sight of God, you are condemned. That's possible. Another thing that's possible for us who are in Christ, who are Christians, is you can actually be rescued by God from your sins. You can be united to Christ. You can be sitting there (laughs) at peace with God. And yet, this thing starts stirring up in your heart where you say, I feel condemned. I must be. And for that, 1 John says, God is greater than our hearts. I love that. I love that line in 1 John. God is greater than our hearts. So this is not about whether or not you feel condemned. This is saying if you are in Christ Jesus, you are not condemned. In the reality, the objective reality, regardless of what your subjective feelings say, Here is how to have the condemnation removed and to know that it's out is to be in Christ Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. We prayed from this earlier. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is about actual, eternal condemnation, being removed. It's about passing from death to life. And Jesus says, if you've believed, it's done. It's done. Just like that. Very simple. Very simple. Do not come into judgment. There's a lot of the Christian life. There's a lot to say about how we live the Christian life and how we'll feel here and there, but he's just very simple here. If you've believed, you do not come into judgment. You've passed from death to life. Amazing. Maybe, though, you think to yourself, well, a little condemnation. A little condemnation here and there. You know, I, 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 I sinned last week, and I've got to do something about the condemnation that I have for that sin. That's not the same thing as repentance, okay? Here, here is... Okay. The whole system of the Roman Catholic gospel is based on the idea that there is still condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? 
I want you to hear this. I was thinking this as I was getting ready for, for this sermon. I, I think, I want to try this. I think Romans 8.1 might be a really, really valuable verse for evangelizing Catholics because their whole system, and, and you may say to yourself, well, I grew up in the Catholic church and that's not the system I heard. Well, I'm talking about the data, the, the actual stuff on the Vatican website. This is where I get this, okay? This is the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Is that by faith in Jesus, partly by faith in Jesus, partly by your baptism, that there is a certain amount of condemnation removed? Maybe the condemnation of your original sin through your baptism and then maybe the condemnation up to the time that you believed through your faith in Jesus, but that then if you sin after that, that there is more condemnation that comes. And so they've invented this place that they call purgatory, where there has to be a payment for the additional condemnation that you would build up, where God is keeping a ledger for people who are going to eventually end up in heaven for how much condemnation is going to have to get paid off for them before they get to heaven. And the whole Catholic system is, if you want to escape all that condemnation, we have everything set up here for you to come and get. Come get our sacraments, and by coming and partaking of the sacraments, then we will issue an indulgence, which is time off of purgatory. So it would be, you know, you come and you do uh, your, your confession, and then you do the penance in whatever way that the priest says to do, and the church dispenses to you out of the treasury of merit that's stored up in heaven. They, they would dispense to you some certain amount of time that you would have earned uh, in purgatory for the amount of condemnation that you built up for the sins that you committed. And so the only people that they call saints are the people that they declare have had all of their condemnation actually finally removed so that they get to go straight to heaven without any extra condemnation in purgatory on the way. And if they built it up really well, then they get to put some of their extra merit into the treasury that would then be dispensed through the sacraments. Okay, I, I, I think that what I'm describing really is accurate to the, the, the Catholic Catechism 1995 on the Vatican website. But regardless of, of ways that a certain priest might object to what I just told you, I think that the, the, the truth is, is undeniable. That whole system, the falseness of that gospel, is demonstrated in Romans 8.1, where it simply says this in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, that is good news that your parents, your brother, your sister, your kids, your neighbors, where you have said to yourself, I don't have to share the gospel with them because they go to church regularly, but they are going there and they are getting a system, a false gospel of condemnation. Tell them the good news. Give them the opportunity to be rescued out of condemnation and to be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You need that. But you need to know also, Christian, you who know the true gospel, there is no penance that you do to take away your condemnation either. This is, this is a mistake that can come up in our hearts where we say, well, I sinned, and therefore I must do something to make up for my sin. There's a difference between that and repentance. Okay. Repentance is where we, there, there may be the feelings of, of sadness and sorrow over our sin. There will be the feelings of sadness and sorrow over our sin. But, but repentance is where we, we see the mercy of God in Christ and, and we, we say, Christ, take this. Jesus, take this. Let this be on the cross of Christ and I will walk toward you and not toward that sin. What's not repentance is where you say, I'm going to prove to God that I really, really mean it when I say I'm sorry for my sin by punishing myself, by continuing to grovel in sorrow and shame even after there is a clear indication I have no condemnation in Christ Jesus 
to say, well, maybe if I just do enough penance, then I will remove the condemnation that I feel for my sin. Don't do that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do need to repent. You do not need to pay God back for the sins that Jesus already died for. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I've said that a lot in this sermon, haven't I? I want you to hear that. That's the word of God here. That's the word of God. But who is this for? It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, that's a, those words, in Christ, those are about union with Christ, being united to Christ. Those are not throwaway words in the Bible. Those are saying, you, human being, you are in one of two representative heads. You are either in Adam, the first human being, you are either united with the rest of the lump of sinful humanity in Adam, or you've been brought from death to life and you are in Christ. There's no being kind of in both. There's no being, you know, sort of on the train, but your legs are hanging out the window. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But it's saying when you've come to Christ, you are in. There's no condemnation. There is no snatching out of his hand. There is no, you have to make it a little bit yourself. You are in Christ. It's for those in Christ who have no condemnation. It says in, in Romans five sixteen, the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation. Hear that? In Adam's sin, he had condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. That's what it's saying. When we've received this free gift, we say, Jesus paid it all in one single act of righteousness at the cross. I'm free. There's no more penalty for my sin. Christ has paid it all. We can say from Romans 6, 8, if we have died with him, we believe that we will also live with him. We can say from 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for my sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him I might become the righteousness of God. He made that exchange. I want to read you a big paragraph from Martin Luther. All right? I try, sometimes I try to avoid reading big paragraphs from, from, from long gone guys, but I just I can't help it today. All right, so this is Martin Luther. He said this, Faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse with her husband. Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Everything which the soul has becomes the property of Christ. Christ possesses all the blessings in eternal life. They are thenceforward the property of the soul. The soul has all its iniquities and sins. They become thenceforward the property of Christ. It is then that a blessed exchange commences. Christ, who is both God and man, Christ, who has never sinned and whose holiness is perfect, Christ, the Almighty and Eternal, taking to himself by his nuptial ring of faith all the sins of the believer, those sins are lost and abolished in him. For no sins dwell before his infinite righteousness. Thus, by faith, the believer's soul is delivered from sins and clothed with the eternal righteousness of her bridegroom, Christ. Oh, happy union. The rich, noble, the noble, the holy bridegroom takes in marriage his poor, guilty, and despised spouse, delivers her from every evil, and enriches her with the most precious blessings. Mm. He's, he's taken it all. The nuptial ring of faith. I love that. As we believe that all of our sins are his, all of his blessings are ours. Mm. It's in Christ that we have this. Now, believer, do you still have a troubled conscience, though? Do you still say to yourself, but I don't, I don't always feel that. I feel like I'm in trouble. I feel like, oh man, what's going to happen now? Well, let me quote another reformer, John Calvin. I love this. The trembling consciences of the godly have an invincible fortress for they know that while they abide in Christ, they are beyond every danger of condemnation. Now, let me, let me just quote the Apostle Paul here, too. Where, grace, or where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's what we're talking about. 
there is no sin that's too big for the cross. Jesus pays it all. So, what do you do? Well, if you're not in Christ, get in Christ. You're under condemnation, but you don't have to be. Come to Jesus and live. It's a simple faith. Faith is a mustard seed. Unites you to Jesus. And all condemnation is gone. And you have a new life in Jesus. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do that work if you don't get it right now. Pray that he'd help you understand. Pray that he would bring you to believe. So, that is the power of sin. Or excuse me, that is the penalty of sin, but Jesus also saves us from the power of sin. So let's go to verse 2. Can you believe that was just verse 1? We could probably spend another couple weeks on verse 1. but Verse 2. For the law, at 4, he says here's the reason, is because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I gotta say, I always, when, I, when I hear this verse, I always think of Steve Borchardt. Because this is the verse that Steve heard from a street preacher. Man, what year was that, Steve? 1970. Oh, your mom. Okay. I, I thought it was the street preacher. But it's this verse that God used to save our brother Steve. And I uh, love this verse. But it's this law of the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We need to think about this. Are we free in Christ? Yes. Are we being freed in Christ? Yes. There are some who would say, right now you are already free from the power of sin. There are others who would say, right now, believer, you are being freed from the power of sin. Well, which one is right? The answer is both. The answer is both. And I think we see both here in the Scriptures. I think we saw in the end of chapter 7 that there is still a need to be freed in some sense from the power of sin because it still has this indwelling presence within our mortal flesh where we have to wage war against it from now until the time when we meet Jesus face to face, that we're not going to have all the desires of the flesh just taken away from us just because we wish that they were. There is the indwelling sin. There is that, that ongoing war between the flesh and the spirit. But here's the thing also that's true at the same time. Sin, believer, is no longer your Lord. Sin is not your master. He talked a lot about this in Romans chapter 6, and that's true at the same time. Even as we fight against sin, it is no longer our master when we're in Christ. We may be grieved that we've committed it, We may, on an ongoing basis, be reminded that we need to repent. You may find victory over a certain besetting sin that had bothered you for years, and then once that sin is stripped away, it's like peeling the onion, and you realize there's another sin underneath that you never even saw before that now you have to do battle with. These kinds of things are ongoing, but here's the reality in Christ. You have been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're set free by the law of the spirit of life. You are free in Christ. You are no longer a slave to sin. You now have the Holy Spirit of God who controls you, who is over you, who guides you. You have Christ as your Lord. What is that old law of sin and death? I want to think about that. He says there's the law of sin and death. There's the law of the spirit of life. You've been set free in Christ Jesus. What are these things? The law of sin and death? Well, you know what? You can't be saved by obeying the law. Have you? I just want to sit down, everybody, and, and just say, you cannot make it by keeping the rules. It, it's just so plain and obvious. There's a big difference between the law and the gospel. Should you obey God? Yes. Is God's command that you obey him? Yes. Is God delighted when his children obey him. Yes. Can any of that cause you to escape the condemnation and eternal suffering of sin? No. You need what God can do for you. So so when it says the law of sin and death, remember we said that, that we went from holiness and happiness to sin and misery in the garden? You hear that? The law of sin and death? That's the sin and the misery that came from disobedience to God. 
And if your hope for being right with God is, I'm going to do good enough so that God will see that I'm a good person, you are under the law of sin and death. You are under the covenant of works if you think, I hope God will think I'm a good enough person. You're not. I'm not. We're not. No one is good but God alone. And so if that's our hope, then we don't have hope. All that would be coming for us is more sin and the condemnation of sin. All that would be coming for us is more death and the eternal condemnation of the eternal death of the lake of fire. That's all that we can earn for ourselves in that old covenant of works. But the fact that we're still here and that we still struggle against sin, believer, that doesn't mean you're under condemnation. And the fact that we still struggle with sin, it doesn't mean he's going to let you go. And the fact that you're still here and you still experience pain and hardship and your body reminds you that it's going to die one day, that doesn't mean that you're under God's condemnation. Suffering does not mean condemned by God. We follow Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So the law of sin and death, it might say to you, no, 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 you're still under me. It jumps up and says, no, you still have sin. You still feel suffering. You still feel death. But believer, here's the truth for you. In Christ Jesus, you've been set free. Sin cannot drag you down to hell in Christ. Suffering cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ. The law of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life, has set you free. I wanna, I'm going to read another big chunk. Are you ready? <laughs> this is time. Wake up. Right. Robert Haldane, in my opinion, wrote the best commentary ever written on the book of Romans back in the 1800s. He says, but what assurance can we have of being free from condemnation and of being in Christ Jesus, since the flesh is so strong in us and the spirit so weak, since we are still prone to so many sins and subject to so many defects? Assuredly, if a man is satisfied in sinning and following carnal desires and is not desirous to turn from those ways, he has no ground to conclude that he is freed from the condemnation. For such is not the state of any believer. But if, on the other hand, he groans on account of his sins, crying out with the apostle, O wretched man that I am, and if they displease him, if he have a godly sadness on account of having committed them and earnestly prays to God to be delivered from them, he may be assured of his salvation. For the Christian is not one who is without sin and evil inclinations, as is abundantly shown in the preceding chapters but one who resists and combats against them and returns to God by repentance. His groans on account of his sins and his mediating, meditating excuse me, on the word of God, his earnest endeavors to be holy and to grow in grace, although not with all the success he desires, are proofs of his regeneration. I just want to bring that up here because, again, you say, well, I still sin sometimes. I must be under the law of sin and death. Well, if you were okay with your sin, then I might wonder. If you say to yourself, well, this is just who I am, everybody needs to accept it, well, then that's not, that doesn't look like a believer in Christ. But if you say, I am troubled because I want sin to be gone in my life and it's not yet, and I'm having to wage war against sin, guys, that is a grace from God. And he's saying, listen, you who are in that war, you who are crying out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's saying, look, it doesn't have power over you anymore. It does not. The power of sin is broken. It is not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. You have been set free by the law of the spirit of life. What is the law of the spirit of life? Well, it's the gospel. It's weird that he would call the gospel a law here, but I think he's just using the term there to kind of drive this home and say, you're not saved by the law. You're saved by something totally different. I think he's using it the same way that he does in Romans 3.27, where he says, we're saved by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. He's saying not by any law at all, but by this rule. Believe. Believe in him who already did the work for you. This is the law of the Spirit. 
It's not a law. It's saying, here is freedom. Here is life. Here is what God has done for you instead of what you could do for God. The law of the spirit of life. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 6.14. Hmm. You're not under law. You're under grace when you're in Christ. This is the gospel. Guys, you need to be brought out of works. You need to be brought out of a relationship with God of works. It only brings death. If that's where you are, come to Christ. And if you're in Christ, you need to know you are no longer in the relationship of God of how well can I perform to see whether he will accept me. That's the law of sin and death. You're now in the relationship of I am in Christ. He says you've been set free. Where? In Christ Jesus. Again, those are not throwaway words. You've been set free in Christ Jesus by the law of the spirit of life. You're in Christ. You're accepted. You no longer have to say, how well will I perform to see if God will like it? He already likes you, believer. He already sees you as his child. He's adopted you. He loves you. And there is no condemnation for you. And when you disobey, he may discipline you out of love, but he loves you. There is no condemnation. You have been set free. Sin is not your Lord, believer. If sin is ruling over you today, throw it at the cross of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about Jesus. Start thinking about how perfect he is, how perfect his death on the cross for our sins is. Start thinking about how he is going to raise sinners like you from the dead to eternal life so that he can display his grace, which means in heaven we're going to remember what crazy sinners we were and how amazing it is that we're there at all. That's, that's just a display of grace. So trust in Jesus and know that when you do, you're in Christ and there is no condemnation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. We, we have so little to offer to you. Lord, we, we want to offer so much and uh, yet Jesus has already paid it all. So I pray that you would help us as those who are in Christ, to live in Christ, uh, Lord, to align our own thinking and feelings with the reality that we've been set free from the law of sin and death, to align ourselves in our thinking with the reality that there's no condemnation for us. Help us to serve you even better because we know that, that grace abounds for us. God, I pray for those who are not in Christ. Lord, they're under condemnation. And and so, God, I just pray for our kids who don't know Jesus. God, I pray for anybody who might have wandered in here who's not in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would take hold of their hearts and show them Jesus and save them. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in grace and to spread this message of grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.